Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. All right, boys and girls, the NFC and the AFC champion get ship games are officially on Sunday, and we're going to be breaking these down for you like crazy. We've got a loaded show for you, a lot of different angles to hit on those games, but I want to start with what I was thinking about overnight. Patrick Mahomes right now is the NFL's version of Michael Jordan. Let me explain and unpack why I say that. A lot of people want to say, and I probably even said it on this show, that Patrick Mahomes is the Tom Brady of his generation. And there is some accuracy to that. I really do believe that Mahomes is going to go to five or six Super Bowls at least before his career is over, assuming he stays healthy. He may well go to his second straight Super Bowl. We know he's going to be playing in his third straight AFC championship game on Sunday. But if you look at Tom Brady, for most of his career, he had a clear rival, and that rival was Peyton Manning. It was impossible to think about Tom Brady without also thinking about Peyton Manning. And typically in sports, that's what we end up with. We got Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. We've got Tiger Woods. You've got Phil Mickelson. There are guys that you may be fans of, but there's somebody else that also has a large fan base. Doesn't mean that, for instance, in the case of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, that one can't be better than the other, clearly. 
It just means that they are rivals on the stage going head-to-head. And to me, if I look at Patrick Mahomes, what is most striking about Patrick Mahomes' career so far is that's not him. There is no Peyton Manning to his Tom Brady. And that's why if you look in the annals of sports, really Patrick Mahomes right now is a lot more like Michael Jordan. There were a lot of good players in the Michael Jordan era Bulls. There was nobody else who was able to ascend to his level. There were just different challengers that rose up and got knocked down because they weren't as good as Jordan. Think about it with me. Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. I can name a lot of different teams back in the day, Isaiah Thomas, that eventually Jordan vanquished. But for nearly a decade, because if you really counted those two championships that the Rockets won, they weren't really, to me, Rockets championships because Jordan wasn't playing then. There was Jordan ascendant on the stage, and then there was everyone else. Charles Barkley, Danny Ainge, you name all the different guys, KJ. If you're a 1990s era NBA basketball fan, like I was, a Jordan era basketball fan, like many of you are listening right now, you recognize that. And you may be thinking to yourself, you know what? He's got a point. There was never any one challenger on the stage with Michael Jordan. He didn't have a Larry Bird to his Magic Johnson. They weren't raised up and elevated together in a rivalry that ended up captivating the nation. Now, the Bulls and the Knicks had a rivalry. The Bulls and the Suns had a rivalry. The Bulls and the Sonics had a rivalry. Certainly, the Bulls and the Pistons had a rivalry, but by the time the Bulls won, the rivalry was over, and it didn't continue, and it wasn't one where suddenly somebody else could come back. For eight years there, really... When Jordan took off the two years in the middle, I still think you have to say that was the Jordan era because there wouldn't have been anybody else that was able to compete with the Bulls if Jordan had never stepped away and had continued. I think Jordan would have won eight years in a row. Could that be what we're dealing with right now with Patrick Mahomes? Now, there are certainly complications. It's not the exact same scenario. Some of you can easily point out, well, it's easier to dominate in basketball than it is in football. That's true. Because Michael Jordan gets to be on the court for 40-plus minutes out of 48 minutes of every game. He gets to play on the offensive and defensive sides. There's only five guys on each side as opposed to 11. There isn't special teams. There is an ability to dominate in basketball that is much easier than it is in football. But with what you are seeing from Tom Brady, you are also seeing the incredible importance that the quarterback position continues to elevate. And by the way, you could also say, as a part of the argument for why it's much easier to to dominate in basketball, you get seven games. Seven-game series, the best team typically wins. Even if you have one bad game, you don't have to worry about losing the series. In a seven-game series, you get the opportunity to go head-to-head a lot of different times, and in theory, we get to test everybody, whereas in football, crazy things can happen. Patrick Mahomes can get knocked out of the game with a borderline concussion 
and his team can nearly lose through no fault of his own. He's not allowed to play the final 20 minutes of the game. His running back can fumble the ball three times. His wide receiver can knock the ball up into the air and it can get tipped off, get tipped, get picked off by somebody. Looks like an interception on the stat sheet, even though it could be a perfect throw. There's no doubt that football is more complicated and it's harder for one player to dominate. But think about how many titles Tom Brady would have had if Peyton Manning didn't exist. And instead, there had just been a lot of other talented guys stepping up to try to challenge Tom Brady while he sat on the throne of NFL football. That's where we are right now with Patrick Mahomes. And that is why I think this Josh Allen challenge is so intriguing and fascinating. Because people like conflict. And in the world of the NFL, we have had a lot of people try to manufacture rivalries for Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson was going to be that guy. Look at what happened to Lamar Jackson when Patrick Mahomes went on the road earlier this year. You kind of felt like Patrick Mahomes took it personally that people said Lamar Jackson was going to be his rival. Deshaun Watson was going to be that guy. Well, Deshaun Watson went on the road at Arrowhead, got up 24 points, team lost, and they still haven't recovered. And he may not even be still in the Houston Texans. He might not even stay in the AFC before all is said and done. Maybe Josh Allen is going to be that guy. Now, there are older guys you can point to. You could say Russell Wilson. You could say Tom Brady. You could say Aaron Rodgers. But those guys aren't going to be in this league for very long compared to Patrick Mahomes, who is still such a transcendent talent at such a young age. And one thing you can also say here, it took Jordan a long time to win a title. It took Patrick Mahomes a couple years. He is sitting right now, Patrick Mahomes is, if you look at the dominance that the quarterback position and how well you can play well into your age of 35, 40 years old, Patrick Mahomes is sitting around right now. He's going to turn 26 in September, guys. He's still only 25 years old. And he has a very good chance on Sunday to go to his second straight Super Bowl. And so you start to look around this league and say, who are the legitimate contenders to Patrick Mahomes' Mahomes' throne? And I think the best analogy that exists right now in sports is there is no one. Mahomes right now is the NFL's version of Jordan. And if he goes out and he beats Josh Allen, which he's favored to do, his team beats their team. People are like, the quarterbacks don't play against each other. All right. Understood. Yes, they do. Your quarterback is going up against another quarterback because that's how you end up with a final score. Yes, Josh Allen's not trying to tackle Patrick Mahomes in the open field or vice versa, but these are the two guys that are going to dictate who wins the football game, by and large. Many times in the NFL, you can just pick who's going to win a game simply by looking at the quarterback position because the variety of quarterback play and the amount of difference and differential between a quarterback is a lot different than the differential in any other position on the football field. And I'm not saying that these other guys aren't good. I'm not saying that Josh Allen can't be good or that Lamar Jackson can't be good or Baker Mayfield can't be good or Deshaun Watson can't be good. But everybody right now in Patrick Mahomes' generation feels like those 1990s era Jordan challengers. 
Patrick Ewing, Clyde Drexler, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Charles Barkley. You run through all those different guys. They're all great. Many of them are Hall of Fame talents, but none of them are remotely close to the transcendent excellence of Michael Jordan in that era. Well, what about right now with Patrick Mahomes? Tell me who is a guy that you take head-to-head against him. You might feel like Aaron Rodgers is the answer. You might feel like Tom Brady is the answer. But those dudes are either, in Brady's case, 43, or in Aaron Rodgers' case, I believe, 38, almost 40 years old. They're not going to be competing against Patrick Mahomes for the vast majority of his career. And if you presume that Mahomes, who is a pocket passer, I know he can run sometimes, he's a decent athlete, but he's primarily a pocket passer. If you presume that if he wants to play, he's going to play for the next 15 years, he's already got the Chiefs three straight years into the AFC Championship. How many times is he going to play in conference championship games? And how long is he going to play at an incredibly high level? I think the answer is a long time. And I think the answer is at a really high level. And so as you start to break this down, I'm just leaving you with this question as we get ready for the AFC Championship game. Is that storyline going to change? Is somebody going to rise up? Could be Joe Burrow. Could be Josh Allen. Could be Tua. Could be somebody coming into the draft this year. Maybe it's Trevor Lawrence. Maybe it's Justin Fields. Is someone young going to rise up, maybe it's Justin Herbert, and legitimately be able to challenge Patrick Mahomes Or are we in, right now, the beginning of the Jordan era of the NFL starring Patrick Mahomes? We're going to start to get some answers on Sunday, and I can't wait to see what those answers are. Going to continue to break down the AFC and the NFC Championship games as we roll through the program. Up next, we are scheduled to be joined by my guy Todd Furman, at Todd Furman on Twitter. Get some picks from him as we get ready for the AFC and the NFC Championship game. What does he think is going to happen there? We may also dive a little bit into the NBA, the NHL, and college basketball. Other sports that you may have noticed are going on right now that typically on this show we're not focusing on because this is, by the way, the last weekend with multiple football games that we're going to be able to watch until August. So you better enjoy these games. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Firestone tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended installer near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their firestone test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerackcom the way tire buying should be 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are rolling through the program. Just uh, talked all about the AFC Championship game. Going to be talking a lot about the NFC Championship game as well. We bring in my Fox Bet Live co-host, one of the four of us that is on the program with me every single uh, Monday through Friday, Todd Furman, at Todd Furman on Twitter. Furman, you are on a run, the likes of which I have never seen with your college basketball gambling I think you're three and twenty in your last twenty-three bets, if I'm not mistaken. Has that is that the worst run you can remember being on in one specific sport ever? Oh, hands down, and it's a direct correlation to how much work and effort that I've actually put into my college basketball this year. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to even share and circulate it 
for show purposes, but it's the sport so low on the pecking order for me. The results there, I'd much be uh, in a better place if I was flipping coins uh, than actually trying to put in a few minutes here and there. But the gambling gods are a fickle lot, and thankfully when it comes to betting sports, that is uh, so low in terms of my share of wallet and bankroll that I can at least laugh about it, uh, although the red figures continue to mount up. It is fascinating uh, how that can happen sometimes, but when you look like last night you had, I think, the under in the first half, and the two teams combined to shoot 15 of 25 from three, which is, I mean, 60% is crazy from anywhere on the field, much less to shoot 60% in a college game for, on both teams. There's no doubt that so much of what goes into handicapping uh, is looking at your numbers over the long haul and not falling victim to short-term variance. And I talk about this all the time, and this may be a little bit more technical than some of your listenership wants to hear, but there's a big difference in terms of identifying a bad beat versus a bad bet. You can have a game like last week between Cleveland and Kansas City. I had over 27.5 in the first half. Rashad Higgins fumbles the ball through the end zone, and ultimately Kansas City comes down, kicks a field goal. The first half falls 22. I don't feel that anything that was done there was a bad bet. They actually outgained what we saw in the Saints and Tampa Bay Bucks game later in the afternoon. So you never want to fall victim to that short-term variance if you're going to do this long-term. It does get annoying. It leaves you wanting to pull your hair out. But like you suggested, 60% shooting from beyond the arc, you're not going to win a whole lot of college basketball unders when that's the case. Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. We're talking to Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter. Uh, Obviously, the story of the weekend as we get ready on Friday to roll into the weekend is the AFC and the NFC Championship game. Uh, Let's start in the AFC. What's standing out in particular to you? Obviously, it's Mahomes' health. It appears he's going to play. And i got to give credit to you because a decade ago or more when we first started doing radio together – uh, you had a phrase that I think uh, is really a lot of people are learning as you know, more and more states are starting sports gambling. Every line tells a story. What is the line in the Chiefs game against the Buffalo Bills telling us so far? It's telling us that odds makers believe Patrick Mahomes will be the starting quarterback come Sunday afternoon at Arrowhead, but they want official uh, clarification that he is ultimately going to be named the starter, but once he passes concussion protocol, that's when this number will disappear from the market. And what do I mean by that? Three suggest that it's kind of a hybrid. They're under the uh, assumption that 80% probability, if not higher, Mahomes is going to be that guy. Because if Chad Henney had the inside track to play, we'd be talking about Buffalo, a short road favorite. And it's once we get official confirmation that Mahomes is the starter. Expect this number to tick up in that three and a half, four range. The real question, Clay, I don't know how long that's going to last because you could see an appetite for Buffalo even with Mahomes announced in. And I think that remains the biggest question in this game. The one nice luxury of sports gambling continues to grow. The recreational better out there who wants to make a case for Kansas City, they're waiting for Adam Schefter, Jason Lackin, for a uh, Jay Glazer, et cetera, to say that Mahomes is cleared to play. That number will move. They'll lay the worst of the number, won't think twice about it. But in reality, they're doing themselves a huge disservice. Uh, okay, so Patrick Mahomes, a lot of discussion about his concussion-related story. That doesn't seem to be a major issue. Are you concerned, and we're going to talk, by the way, to Dr. David Chow in the third hour about the, uh, about the health status of Mahomes and everybody else who's playing in these games. Are you concerned about his foot at all, uh, which may be more impactful in terms of its actual uh, impact on the field come Sunday? 
I was coming into the week, and Dr. Chow will break down a lot more footage, and he'll be a much better voice when it comes to all things medical than I can be. But the Chiefs put out a video from Wednesday's practice that showed Mahomes kind of going through one of his progressions and scrambling out of the pocket. That alleviated some of the concerns I had about his foot. Do I think he'll be 100%? Absolutely not. And can he re-aggravate it? There's no doubt about it. But there's so many different ways the Chiefs can prepare that foot, whether it means putting a metal plate in there to try and help take care of his turf toe uh, or if they'll shoot him up. So when it comes to a quarterback, I don't think it's as big a deal as it would be, say, a Tyree Kill who had to get in and out of his cuts because if Mahomes' foot starts to bother him, they'll just make him a little bit more of a pocket passer and it'll eliminate some of the playbook. Whereas if he wasn't moving real well in Wednesday's limited practice, still going through concussion protocol, I'd be a lot more concerned that, hey, look, the Bills are going to try and pin their ears back and come after Mahomes knowing that he doesn't have a whole lot of mobility in the pocket. Would you rather, we had a discussion about this yesterday on the show, and I've talked about it a little bit already on this show, would you rather them play one game on Saturday in the NFL and one game on Sunday, or do you like the back-to-back scenario on Sunday? I like the back-to-back scenario. It's what we've grown accustomed to, and maybe I'm a creature of habit, but I think what happens if you play one on Saturday and one on Sunday, and the game happens to be a blowout on Saturday and you watch a quarter or two, then some of that momentum starts to wane a little bit. At least here, if the first game is a dud or even if the first game is a classic, you have something to hang your hat on. I love the format here, and I know with two weeks it doesn't give any of these teams an unfair rest advantage either, Uh, but I think the NFL has found a blueprint that's worked, uh, so I'm more than comfortable with them doing it. I actually just wish the game on Sunday started a little bit earlier. Uh, it's a lot waiting till noon out here on the West Coast when you've yeah. grown accustomed to college football at 9 a.m. on Saturdays and the NFL, of course, normally at 10. I actually think that's the best thing about being on the West Coast. You know, when I was a kid and all the way up through my teenage years and into my early 20s, I used to complain about early kicks, you know, because I was like, I want to go tailgate. I want to be able to hang out. Also, you're more likely to be out late the night before. And so you want to sleep in a little bit as opposed to having now with three young kids and a radio show that starts at 5 a.m. My time every day when it gets to Saturday and Sunday, I wake up early and I'm like, man, when are these games actually going to kick off? You know, like I'm just moping around the house waiting, you know, four or five hours for a game to actually kick off sometimes longer than that. So I've totally flipped as I've gotten older. I love the 11 a.m. kicks now uh, central time and I loved being on the West Coast. Because, you know, let's say you wake up at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, by 9 a.m. there are games underway. Oh, it's tremendous. And I think the best part about it, not only do games kick off earlier if you're a morning person, it's that they end earlier. You get yeah. Monday Night Football that'll kick off at 5.15, and you're not waiting until 10.30, 11 o'clock. You can go out so to I dinner. About, you can yeah, go out to dinner exactly. and not even and watch the whole game. You can still have a life afterwards, and I think about it from a young viewer standpoint. If you have small kids, you're much better suited to allow them to watch games in their entirety uh, on the West Coast. No and doubt. You, you've talked about it at great lengths, not only for the NFL, but look at the NBA playoffs. When games tip off at 10.35 Eastern time, when you're talking about the Lakers and some of the higher-profile teams, I'm gassed by 10.30 Pacific time. I can't imagine what people feel like at 1.30 in the morning on the East Coast when sporting events wrap up. We're talking to Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter. All right, let's go to the NFC game uh the Packers have been on an absolute roll games in Lambeau some possibility there might be a little bit of snow it's going to be cold uh Aaron Rodgers MVP presumptively of the season even though it's not quite official and meanwhile Tom Brady the ageless wonder taking the Bucks on the road for a third straight week trying to return them to home so they could play in the Super Bowl in their home stadium for the first time in NFL history that would be happening how do you see this one shaking out with the Packers around a three or three and a half point favor depending on where you look 
Well, one of the numbers I was blown away with uh, in digging into this game a little bit, that this will be the first time that Aaron Rodgers will play an NFC title game at home. You look at the impressive resume he's put together, uh, and you go, oh, they must have played an NFC championship at Lambeau. But no, au contraire, this will be the first time. When you look at some of the numbers, too, in this game, it's fascinating. Since the wild card round began back in 1978, Teams to play their third straight road game, which obviously applies to the Bucks here. Just 5-12 and 12 against the spread, 4-13 and 13 straight up in the conference championship. Uh, the teams that have won those games, well, Green Bay back in 2010, the Giants in 2007, and the Steelers in 2005. Before that, you have to go back 20 years to the 85 Patriots. But I look at some of the matchups that we're going to see here, and the biggest concern I have for Tampa is their secondary. If they can't bring pressure, forget about it. Aaron Rodgers is going to pick them apart with a healthy Devontae Adams who was just returning from injury the first time around. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a more than capable deep threat. And Alan Lazard wasn't out there. The problem I have with Green Bay, and everyone wants to talk about a slightly resurgent defense, uh, is the fact that they haven't really faced an offense nearly as dynamic as what Tampa is going to bring to the table. Now, Byron Leftwich has to be smarter with his game plan. He can't decide he wants to run it every time on first down. But Green Bay's interior run defense is the biggest question mark, and that may actually work to their benefit. Tom Brady uh, could potentially have a ton of success if they let him throw early and often. And when I look at this game, at three and a half or better, I'd make a case for the Bucks. At three, I probably wouldn't dabble, but that's where I'm leaning right now. And that's factoring in all my disdain for Green Bay over the last couple seasons and openly admitting that they've owned a piece of my soul and especially my gambling bankroll. Do you think uh, that right now we have Green Bay has moved to a small favorite right now with four teams remaining to win the Super Bowl? Do you think Green Bay is the best team left right now among these four, or would you make the Chiefs the presumptive favorite if you had to pick who's most likely to hoist the trophy at the end of the year? I think if you're backing out everything here, and of course what you're going to see reflected in those current Super Bowl odds from FanDuel is the home field advantage that Kansas City has working in their favor in the late game. Uh, and the Green Bay will have working in their favor, obviously, in the early game at Lambeau. I mean, if you're talking about Tampa and Green Bay on a neutral, this number isn't anywhere close to three. You're talking about it closer to one, and a similar scenario for Buffalo and Kansas City. Now, you can't ignore the fact that these teams have to go on the road and try and win these games. I would make the case that going right now that Tampa is probably the most complete football team uh, out of all of them there. I just worry about their inexperience on a stage this large and not being able to fall back the luxury of Bill Belichick as the consummate professional on the sidelines compared to Bruce Arians. Kansas City, for me, not nearly as good this year overall as they were a season ago. The problem for the rest of the league is that Patrick Mahomes is only getting better, and he's been able to mask some of their issues this season. And while they haven't covered numbers, the one concern that you have to have, this offense, when it's wanted to, has gone out there and put up crooked numbers. It was dynamic in the first half against Cleveland. It's built 17-point leads against some of the best teams in the league. And if Kansas City commits to it and wants to be there uh, from start to finish offensively, uh, I don't know if there's any of these trio of teams that remain that can really stop them. If you had to set the over-under right now, we're talking to Todd Furman, Fox Bet Live. You can see him with me every single afternoon on television. If you had to set an over-under on number of years that Tom Brady will play in the NFL, not counting this one, obviously, going forward, what would you set it at? Uh, I would set it at one and a half, and and I'm going to juice the over. Uh, The reason I say that is because I think two years probably makes the most sense. Uh, I'm not sure Tom is going to play past 45 and you also have to wonder what this Bucks roster looks like. Rob Gronkowski has said he wants to come back. 
Uh, we'll see if Antonio Brown is ultimately in the fold. Chris Godwin becomes a free agent after this offseason. And, and Tom has already gone through playing without weapons. So as soon as he would start to see a deterioration potentially of this Tampa roster, if these guys can command a lot more money on the open market, he's got nothing left to prove. And I don't think he would play if there weren't the pieces around him that would allow them to compete for yet another Super Bowl. We're talking to Todd Furman this weekend. Uh, we also have a UFC event, which is going to get a lot of attention on Saturday. It's the first Saturday since August that we haven't had a college football game. What do you expect to see uh, in that Saturday fight? And more importantly, for everybody out there who there tends to be uh, a ton of fans uh, when you actually break it down, what do you think of the big matchup? Do you buy into, uh, do you buy into account uh, that, that the right guy is favored? In which, in the Conor McGregor fight you're yes. referring to, Clay? Yeah, that's the yeah, big fight that I mean, I'm talking about. Because most people in yeah. UFC, I should have <laughs> uh, clarified, but most people in U, uh, hardcore UFC fans can have different opinions. But the average sports fan out there listening to me, I think, is pretty much paying attention to Conor McGregor. Yeah, when you look at this number here, Connor actually opened right around a dollar seventy-five favorite. He's been bet out to three dollars. And what's interesting about UFC in terms of the way this sport gets bet, uh, a lot of recreational bettors won't bet Connor McGregor straight. And what do I mean when I say that? They're not going to walk up to the window or pull out their FanDuel app and put up three dollars to win a dollar coming back. They're going to parlay Connor to some of the earlier fights that are taking place on the card. They're going to parlay him to the NFL games that are taking place on Sunday as well. So what you're going to see here is. I think you're going to see a lot of the recreational bettors putting up a little to root against Connor and taking that price with Poirier versus the professionals are going to gravitate towards Connor. I think he's in better shape if you believe what Dana White said and the optimism coming out of his camp. Uh, I'm of the mindset that Connor doesn't come out of this retirement, and I put it in air quotes, uh, to fight unless it's a match he can win. I think a loss would be hugely damaging to what kind of earning potential he would have going forward. No doubt at all, Todd Furman. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you getting up early with us on uh, the West Coast, and uh, I'll see you on television later today. You got it. Always a pleasure, boys. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Okay, as we roll into the weekend with the AFC and the NFC Championship game, we got a lot of people who listen out there, some of them affiliated with the NFL. I just want to say this right off the top before I dive into uh, a discussion of the NFC Championship game in particular. Can we please, one small request, I would love if we had the entire weekend, if we had a Saturday night AFC or NFC Championship game to be followed by the Sunday afternoon slash evening, whatever they want to put it, the later start of the other championship game, as opposed to putting them both on Sunday. Now, I understand a lot more if there's no bye week why you wouldn't want to give somebody a competitive advantage, but there's absolutely no competitive advantage that comes from playing on Saturday versus playing on Sunday uh, in the grand scheme of things here, especially because you could set it up so that the AFC divisional games were, or the NFC divisional games were both on the prior Saturday. Anyway, just tossing that out there as an idea, I think the NFL has done such a fantastic job. We talked about this a little bit yesterday on the show with three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday <laughs> for the Super Wild Card weekend. And I love 
two games on Saturday and two games on Sunday for the divisional round playoff games. I don't understand why you wouldn't put one championship game on Saturday night and the other one on Sunday afternoon instead of both putting them on the same day. Just an idea out there. Now, I I continue to be amazed as we look at these NFC and AFC championship games. Yesterday's poll question made it clear that most of you thought Aaron Rodgers had by far the most at stake here, right? Uh, So as you break it down, the vast majority of you out there were saying uh, Aaron Rodgers had the most at stake and Josh Allen had the second most at stake and then you went with Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Brady has done something that I didn't believe was possible at all already before we even get to the NFC Championship game. To me, he has ended a 20-year debate about who was the most responsible for the New England Patriot dynasty. For most of the last generation, if you are an NFL fan and you wanted to just get a fun argument started, you could sit down at the bar with your buddies You could go grab a pizza, grab a slice, and even if you didn't know what everybody's opinion was, if you were a football fan, you had an opinion on Brady versus Belichick, who's more responsible for the dynasty. And uh, and in fact, I even put up a question because I was fascinated to see who was more responsible. This was one of our early poll questions in the Brady-Belichick dynasty. And I just, what was so interesting about it was 80% of people said, hey, if you had to choose between having Brady or Belichick, which one would you rather have for the next couple of years going forward? 80% of you said Bill Belichick. A lot of you out there had bought into the idea, and I was close to buying in the idea as well, that the reason for Tom Brady's dominance in the Patriot dynasty, if you had to pick one reason, now the reality is like all great debates, there's a strong truth to both sides. But if you had to pick one for the next five years, would you rather have Brady or would you rather have Belichick? The vast majority of us coming into this season would have said, I'd rather have Belichick. Because... As a coach who's 68, about to turn 69 years old, he's got more time to be able to do his job than Brady does. I'm not sure of that anymore. I now wonder on some level whether Brady and Belichick are both going to have about the same number of years left in the NFL. And if that's going to be true, this is going to be even less of a debate. But I think what Tom Brady has done is he has closed the door on the idea that his dominance was directly connected to Bill Belichick being the greatest coach of all time. And I think what Brady has done is he has forever eliminated the idea. You know, we even talked on Monday of this week with Sean Merriman. And Merriman is a great NFL former defensive player, and he even said to us, you know what, I kind of bought into the idea that the reason why Tom Brady was so good was because of Bill Belichick. And now I'm going back 
and I am reassessing my takes because one of the things I'd always wondered, and I still do think it's an intriguing question, but one of the things I'd always wondered was, hey, what would have happened if you had given Peyton Manning Bill Belichick as his head coach for the entire time that he played in the NFL? How many Super Bowls would Peyton Manning have gone to? My argument was a somewhat similar number to what Tom Brady did, maybe even more. But now I'm going back and I'm reassessing and I'm thinking, why did I ever buy into the Belichick cult? Because the truth of the matter is, in the NFL, the quarterback always matters more than the head coach. Now, ideally, you want a good quarterback and you want a good head coach. That's why Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are, I believe, the modern-day version of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And certainly, I can understand why over the pace, uh, over the space of 20 years, two insanely competitive people like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick can end up at each other's throats, maybe in some way, because you know Robert Kraft was there to try to balance out the discontent that might have existed between those two. But Brady feels like he's not getting enough credit. Belichick feels like he's not getting enough credit. And both of them believe that they are ultimately the reason why the Patriots have dominated the way that they have. But I got to tell you, I think this argument has ended this year. I think the answer is who is most responsible for the Patriot dynasty? It's Tom Brady and it's not even close anymore. I think if you look at Bill Belichick, unless he gets a good quarterback and he gets him soon, I think we're going to see a lot more losing seasons out of the New England Patriots, just like we saw this year with Cam Newton. And that surprises me because there was data out there with what Bill Belichick did in going 11-5 and without Tom Brady in the year that Brady hurt himself and he had Matt Castle. And what we saw with Belichick going 3-1 and with Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo when Brady had his four-game deflate gate suspension, there were a lot of arguments out there, and in fact, pretty solid evidence there, that Belichick, and that's what I would have argued, Belichick had gone 14-6 and without Tom Brady as a part of that New England dynasty, right? Strong argument out there. Well, Belichick is so good that Matt Castle, he led to 11 wins, and Belichick is so good that Jimmy G and Jacoby Brissett, he still finds a way to win. And they went 14-6 and six in that era of the New England Patriots without Tom Brady. And that basically, Belichick is a uh, stud coach and he learned a lot during his time with the Browns and he was going to be successful no matter who his, coach, who his quarterback was. But that 14-6 and record that Belichick had posted with the Patriots without Brady, well, this year when he went 7-9, and now he's 21-15, and which is still not awful without Brady, but it ain't very good either. And especially if you combine that with the record that Belichick had beforehand, He's got a losing record, Belichick does, as an NFL coach without Tom Brady. And now Brady, who's never played for anybody else, has a 13-5 and record 
with Bruce Arians this year, 11-5 and in the regular season, 2-0 and in the playoffs. And to me, that just is an open and shut case. Brady is better with, sorry, the Brady-Belichick dynasty is more reliant upon Brady than it is upon Belichick. I think we have solved that this year. I think we have answered that 20-year debate. I think it is one of the biggest takeaways that we have had so far from the NFL season. What more will we find out? Well, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the NFC and in the AFC championships. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Redestine tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended and installer near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their redestine test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. Joined now by Dr. David Chow, who joined us on Monday and now closes out the week. And let's start here. It had to have been, knock on wood, a little bit of a relief not to be discussing COVID, at least, when it came to whether or not a guy was going to play in a big game. Right, Dr. Chow? After all the COVID talk, uh, let's start with a positive for the NFL. Other than Kevin Stefanski, uh, really, in the divisional round playoff games, we managed to avoid almost all COVID issues in the uh, in the sorry the wild card and the divisional rounds combined. That's uh, ten different games, and it seems like there's going to be no major COVID issues at least so far in the uh, in the AFC Championship or the NFC Championship, which is a nice position for the NFL to find itself. Yeah, and and it's actually expected. Look, you know, we worried at the beginning of the season. We knew the football would go off on time. We worried about the the road in between. And there were a few bumps, but they made it. But now I think, and I would hope, it's going to be clear sailing for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's only two games. So it's only four teams. So statistically, the bear traps are fewer. Secondly, these teams are now on lockdown, for example. Like, the last thing they want when they're this close to the Super Bowl is to get COVID and miss a championship game, and this includes staff, or perhaps impact the Super Bowl. This is what they work for. So they're going to really, I think, be on lockdown. Uh, Clay, I almost went to Kansas City to 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 see a friend uh, play this, that, the other, and then uh, talk to him and, and, and some of the other friends in Kansas City. It was like, there's no point because we're not even going to be able to see the guys and whatever because they're all on lockdown at the hotels unless they're sneaking around, and we don't want to do that, and we don't want to jeopardize anyone in case. you know. So I think it does make sense, but you know, it is interesting, and I'm sure we're going to get to this next, how now that there's less to talk about with COVID, all season long, I've said that there seems to have been less uh, angst about concussions. I mean, it used to be major hits, and people would say, why didn't this guy get checked? Why did he get put back in the end? What's going on with concussions? But now that COVID is probably not the number one thing on the NFL topic list, it's interesting we're back to concussions and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it is. We circle back around to concussions, and there's been a lot of talk about this. And so uh, you wrote a great piece uh, earlier in the week at OutKick basically saying Patrick Mahomes is going to play, uh, and it seems clear that he is going to play based on all the evidence until Sunday when somebody trots out there. You won't know, but the odds of the, line, the odds maker lines, all of those things, all the comments suggest that Mahomes is going to play. You've had a lot of time now to study what actually took place on the field in the way that he was tackled against the Browns on Sunday. What do you now believe occurred, obviously with the understanding that you haven't actually examined him, you haven't sat down and questioned Patrick Mahomes about everything, 
as is often the case, you are watching the video and analyzing it, which before we even get into the Patrick Mahomes, I do think is interesting because people are out there like, well, he's not on the field. He's not a doctor right now. You have been before, and you've told us something many times on this program before, but for people who might not have heard it, you will sometimes watch the play take place because it can give you an idea of what the injury might have been from watching the play take place on the field. Explain that for people who might not be aware of how even being able to look at the video can help you with diagnosis. Yeah, for so for 17 years when I was a head team physician, after seeing a player on the field, on the sideline, in the locker room after the game, Monday after an MRI, I would go upstairs and watch film of the injury. Why? A, I had 45 minutes of free time in between. B, everyone in the building watched video on on uh, Mondays. See, I was trying to get better. So there, I knew the answer. I knew what kind of knee injury it was, exactly what it was, or whatever it was. And then I would go watch film. The, the video guys were great. They would queue it up for me of the different angles just to learn more about it. It wasn't always helpful, but sometimes maybe it was. But now, I don't have the answer. I just have the question, which is the yeah. video. And for those who don't think that you can tell on video, if you hurt yourself playing uh, basketball in a league or something, uh, you go to the doctor. What does the doctor say? What happened? He said, well, I came down for a rebound. I stepped on someone's ankle, and my uh, knee twisted this way, and I felt the pop, and I got hit on the outside. Well, that's the video, right? So it's not 100%, but not only do we pay attention to the mechanism of injury, but I studied it for 17, 17 years. But it's not perfect, right? It's just video. And what I always say is what I'm doing now is providing insider knowledge, not insider information. Look, I know Rick Burkholzer very well. I wouldn't dare call him about what's happening with Patrick Mahomes. A, he wouldn't answer me. And B, he'd be insulted because of HIPAA and everything else. So I don't. So it's not insider information. It's not sources. It's looking at the situation. But I do look at the media landscape to see what people are saying, like what Andy Reid said, any additional information that's out there, and including some local radio reports where it seems like someone has a little bit of insider about missing one question, et cetera. And uh, those things, peripheral information, give context and sometimes help me in this game of CSI, or for the older generation, Quincy, that I kind of do medically as I try and figure some of these things out. Medical detective work, almost. Yeah, so the medical detective work. Okay, let's let's go into Patrick Mahomes and his injury. What has your medical detective work made you believe happened with Patrick Mahomes? Well, first of all, I want to say I'm independent. I have nothing to do with the NFL. I don't get paid by the NFL. I'm not here to support any side. But I believe, and a lot of people think, of course Patrick Mahomes is going to play. This is a championship game, and the NFL is going to make it happen, or the Chiefs are going to cheat to make it happen. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that you could make the Chiefs doctor cheat because or the independent neuro who ultimately has to clear Patrick Mahomes, concussion or not. Because once you're in the concussion protocol, you have to get cleared by the independent neuro. And here's why. Yes, the independent neuro, he or she lives in the Kansas City area, like for all the different teams, they live in the area. But look, 
as a doctor, are you going to put your reputation on the line, your practice on the line, your life savings on the line? Your insurance is $1 million, $3 million typically, $2 million, $4 million. He's a $500 million guy. Are you going to go against your Hippocratic oath for a football game? Are you going to, like, right now, sure, Patrick Mahomes says, clear me, clear me, I want to play. But if he really couldn't be cleared, you know, you hear all the time later on, and I'm not saying Patrick would, and I'm not saying anything bad's going to happen, players after the fact come back and say, well, you shouldn't have done that, right? So you're not going to do that. So for fans to say, oh, the Chiefs are going to get him cleared no matter what just because, I don't believe that to be the case at all for that reason. And here's the thing. I don't believe Patrick Mahomes actually had a concussion. If you look at the video very closely, and this is just my belief, not exam, he never actually hits his head. Hits his head. Yes, there's something about quick acceleration, deceleration, uh, coup, counter coup, and, you know, the, the jello shaking and, you know, inside the head. So concussion, of course, is a possibility, but I don't see that violent force. So really, what could it be? Uh, Jay Glazer su- suggested he was choked out. I respect Jay, but not in the traditional sense, because you can't grab someone's neck for literally a second and rob them of enough blood flow to the brain or oxygen to make them pass out. Some have suggested it's a nerve injury or spinal cord injury. Well, that's not really likely because if it was, that'd be really bad news. And not only would he be ruled out of this game, you'd have serious evaluations about his career. And it wasn't that big of a torque or a force. And paralysis doesn't come up and then go away. So what is it? I think the most likely thing is that he is vagus nerve or the carotid sinus was karate chopped by Mac Wilson's forearm and yanked. And that can send an electrical signal. Medically, sometimes when you have a high heart rate, you massage the carotid area to slow down the heart rate because it sends a signal. This is the same signal that makes people faint sometimes. I'm not calling Patrick Mahomes weak of heart or afraid of blood or needles and he faints. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that nerve can be excitable, and that's the nerve for people who do faint at the sight of blood or needles. That nerve is excitable, and it make, that's what makes you faint. And so if you hit the nerve, just like, you know, you get a reflex or hit your funny bone, it sends an electric signal. And I believe that force on the neck caused him to faint for a brief second and then a little groggy, glassy-eyed and not full control when he got up. But the good news is from that, you recover very, very quickly without any long-term residual. And we're seeing that with Patrick Holmes at the very first practice of the week, participating and taking all of the snaps. It's fascinating. So are you actually more nervous about Patrick Mahomes' foot than you are about him clearing concussion protocol in terms of how it might impact him on the field Sunday if you're analyzing the health situation of the Chiefs quarterback? Absolutely, in terms of how it will affect him on the field, because I think, barring a complete surprise, he is on the field. And this vagus nerve, and and remember, this is a hypothesis that I vetted, quite honestly, with several neurologists, several former team physicians, and actually, I won't say his or her name, but a current independent neuro. And they believe it to be 
plausible. They don't know the circum- certain circumstances of the Mahomes situation. But yeah, I think the toe is a bigger deal. I think the toe will affect him. But look, uh, an 85% Mahomes is pretty darn good. And if you notice, in the second half, he played a, almost was more mobile than the first half with the toe. It's possible to get a pregame ejection uh, what, what so, or something to go ahead and play. And the final thing I'd say on this, and I, I don't mean to talk so long here, but it is a very complex thing, is I get a lot of questions saying, well, if he doesn't have a concussion, why is he in the concussion protocol? Well, once you enter the protocol, you can't get out of it. So that's until you're cleared. That's number one. Number two, if the Chiefs really were having any doubt about Mahomes, ability to play. It would behoove them to get Chad Henney some snaps in case. The fact that Mahomes took all the snaps seems very clear that the Chiefs fully believe that he's going to play. The other part about that is this. If the Chiefs were gaming the system, wouldn't they want to slow play the return from this supposed concussion and like everyone else in the league, get him back on Friday or Saturday to full practice and then clear. Why would they initially list him at full practice on Wednesday, have him take all the snaps? Yes, it got revised limited practice because it was more of a walkthrough. And, and you know, look, if you rob a bank, you don't buy a Rolls Royce and a Ferrari the next day, right? I mean, you kind of like take it easy a little bit with their newfound fortune. Uh, we're talking to Dr. David Chow. Any other major stories? I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire potentially going to be able to return, which would help take some of the onus off of uh, Patrick Mahomes. Any other major injury status situations in this game uh, or the NFC Championship game that to you impacts what might happen on the field in a major way? Well, you know, fortunately, at this time of year, the teams are typically healthier because the healthier teams that we've talked about have covered the spreads and won and moved on. And so right now, they're mostly on the healthy side, almost all. But in terms of health, the healthiest team left in the playoffs is the Buffalo Bills. Number two is the Green Bay Packers. Number three is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ronald Jones looks better, but Antonio Brown has a question mark uh, with his knee. And obviously, they're still down Alex Kappa, but that return of Devin White and a fully healthy Carlton Davis is massive. The Chiefs actually are the most injured team going into the championship round. And that's even assuming Mahomes plays, which obviously we've talked about he will, because of his toe, because of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but he is trending towards playing. Because of Sammy Watkins, he's trending towards playing. Willie Gay is still a question mark at linebacker. So the Chiefs are the most banged up, but overall uh, they're they're uh, they're you know in the B category as we say uh, at the injury index at Pro Football Doc. Uh, Dr. David Chow, you've done phenomenal work this week. We will talk to you uh, next week. Obviously, two weeks until the Super Bowl is played. Positive as we started off this conversation, saying at least so far, COVID does not seem like a major issue that is going to impact this uh, this game, and uh, hopefully that'll be the case for the Super Bowl as well. Thank you very much. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.